Amen. Hey, listen, we are really glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. And I uh, like to have lots of churches to go to. And uh, you chose to come here. And we're so grateful that you did. And we are in a series of messages. And, and I remember one guy said, well, maybe I'll explain what a series is. Don't forget, a series of messages are messages that are uh, uh, several messages that are tied together with a common theme. And in this case, the, the series is entitled Crosstalk. And we're looking at the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ, his final words on earth during the crucifixion that day as he died. And he spoke seven different times that are recorded in Scripture. And each week we're taking those and looking at those, but hopefully bringing them home to us and how they can apply even to our lives. That's, that's what we want to see happen um, today. And today as we look, I want you to see amazingly that the cross was all about, not about Jesus as much as it was about others, about others. You know, and the Vietnam Memorial is one of the most visited memorials, events, items in Washington, D.C. Literally thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and perhaps hundreds of thousands people flock to the Vietnam Memorial. And if you're at my age or younger or a little bit younger or definitely older, you know that the Vietnam War was a confusing thing for our nation and and uh, a lot of men lost their lives. I think like 60-something thousand people, men died and women died in the Vietnam War. And for a long time, there wasn't a memorial. And finally, the nation figured out, duh, and they had this memorial. It's a long black granite wall. And on this wall are simply the names of all those men and women who sacrificed their lives. And again, tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people go and visit this Vietnam Memorial. And what it does, it, it, it sparks different emotions and feelings for different people. For, for some, it's just a place to go. For some, it's like, you know, you go to Washington, D.C., and you see Lincoln, you see the Washington Monument, you see the reflecting pool, you see those things, and, oh, we need to go see the Vietnam Memorial. And it's just one of those things that you add to the list. I don't think they leave that way. I think when they see the wall and the names, it impacts them. But that's the motivation for some people, anyway, who go. And for some people, they go there and they're looking for a specific name. And, and they go to the registry and they find where the name is listed on what panel it's listed. And they, and they go and they find that name. And it's the name of their son or their daughter. And um, it's a mama's heart and a dad's heart. And they mourn. They mourn that loss. Sometimes it's, it's a, an old buddy from Vietnam who goes back and, and those days that were so difficult were times of, of deep camaraderie and, and you lost good friends there and you go back to the wall and you find the name and you mourn the loss of a, a really good friend. For some, it's, it's that you go back and, and it was someone who saved your life. It was someone who saved your life, a real hero, the guy who fell on the grenade or the guy who, who fought when, you know, and refused to, to let the enemy overtake position until every person was safe. And they go and they, they thank again, even though the person's in there, they thank again that man, that woman who died for them. And that's really a whole lot like the cross. Just like people, just like people are drawn to that big black wall because of all that it represents. So many of us are drawn back to the cross week, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, decade after decade. We're drawn back because of what happened on that cross. 
I was going to try to break into song today, but that ain't going to happen. I, as I was thinking about this message all week long, do you understand how many songs there are about the cross? I mean, wonderful songs. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's room at the cross for you. And the one I, I, was, I wanted to share, and again, I was going to sing, but that's probably not a good idea. But beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. A home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way. From the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. And that last verse says, I take, O cross, thy shadow. Now listen. For my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. Content to let the world go by, to know no loss or gain. My simple self, my only shame, my glory on the cross. What an amazing event this is. What an amazing man hung on that cross. And what an amazing thing the cross is. And today... We want to look at the third thing that Jesus said while hanging on the cross. And it became so apparent. I mean, it's so apparent that that the things that Jesus said really make out the fact that the cross was not about him. It was about others. The first thing he said was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As he looked around and saw these men who had crucified him and drove the nails in his wrist, the, the leaders who had orchestrated his death, the people who had abandoned him. And he cried out for their forgiveness. And then as he looked to his left or to his right, I checked again to make sure the scripture didn't say which side, but he looked over and there was a man who said, Jesus, remember me when you can't come into your kingdom. And, and again, he said, today, I promise you, you will be with me in paradise. And today, once again, we find that Jesus speaking out for others. Brothers. Our scripture today is John chapter 19, verse 25. John chapter 19, verse 25. And the gospel writer John starts with these words. Standing by the cross of Jesus. Standing by the cross of Jesus. I check different translations because sometimes a certain translation says something that really rings my bell, but I, I want to make sure that that's really what should be ringing our bell, not just a set of words in a certain translation. So, so I check all the different translations, and one of them said, standing near the cross of Jesus. But if you look in your Bible, chances are it says something like, standing by the cross of Jesus. And, and it made me think, and that's what, I, that's what rung my bell, as I thought about the people who were standing near the cross, I wonder how it impacted them. I know for us, it should bring remembrance of what this is all about. Don't miss that. It's not about church. It's not about religion. It's not about keeping a set of rules. It's not a it's not about people who, who have been together coming to a building and singing some songs and listening to something from the Bible. 
It's about the fact that every person in this room has sinned against the holy God. And we were hopelessly and helplessly lost. And in loving kindness, another song says, Jesus came, my soul in mercy, to reclaim. So it should, be a, it should be an instrument of remembrance. It certainly is an instrument of love. I've told you before that if you ever doubt that God loves you, if, if you're here today and you've never done the Jesus thing, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're here this morning or you listen on the radio because you had to come upon the bandwidth of 102.3 on the FM side, or perhaps you're here today and someone invited you to go to church, promised you a free lunch. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're searching. And you're saying to yourself, there is nothing that says I should believe in God. God's abandoned me. God's hurt me. I want to tell you today that the cross forever says he loves you. This undeniable historical fact says forever, I love you. There's no doubt about it. Also, to stand by something means to defend it. Stand by. They were standing by the cross. And I want to tell you today, if you're a Christ follower, the cross is worth standing by. Someone say amen. The cross is worth standing by. In this crazy society where it's becoming more and more foolish to believe in God, to believe in Jesus, to believe in a Savior, or the fact that we even need a Savior, the cross is worth standing by. So standing by the cross that day were some people. Not every person at the foot of the cross was an enemy Roman soldier who nailed them. Not every person standing near the cross that day were people who, who plotted Jesus' death. Not every person standing at the cross that day had cried for his crucifixion. There were some people there who loved Jesus. And specifically, John lists four people all women, by the way, who were standing at the foot of the cross, who were standing beneath the cross of Jesus. And they took their stand that day, as unpopular as it may have been. And so the scripture says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. His mother. A friend of mine spoke some words to me this morning, and, and he said something that was very difficult in his life, and the first thing I wanted to bring out of my mouth was, yeah, I know. And then I stopped, and I said, wait a minute, I don't know. And I said it out loud. I've not walked in his shoes. I've not felt the pain that he's felt. I don't know. But can you even begin to imagine that there is Mary the mother of Jesus looking up at her son, bloodied, naked, in shame, in pain, and watching him die. But she was there. She was there. You wonder what she was thinking. You know, Mary, uh, unlike sometimes we want to think that Mary understood everything. Oh, I remember there was a Christmas thing, and there was this, and there was that. I've got it all figured out. Just like us, Mary didn't have it all figured out. 
In fact, if you remember right, at one point, she and her son showed up, and they kind of thought Jesus was crazy. Not saying Mary did, but the brothers sure did. So she didn't have it all figured out. Let me tell you what she had figured out. That her son was nailed to a Roman cross. That's what she had figured out. And the pain had to be incredible. I wonder if she thought about a time. Jesus, of course, was 33 years old when he was crucified. And so for 33 years, she had lived with Jesus as part of her life. And when Jesus was 40 days old, brand new to the preschool department, just home from the hospital, 40 days old, they took him to church to to redeem him. It was one of that law things that they had to do. They had to offer a sacrifice and those kind of things. 40 days old. And they bumped into an old man named Simeon. And Simeon was a prophet. And here's what Simeon says in Luke 2, 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary. Remember, Jesus is 40 days old. Indeed, this child is destined. It is his destiny. It is his purpose. It is his reason for existence. This child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. Simeon said, because of Jesus Christ, many will rise. Many will eventually recognize that this is the Messiah, that he's the promised one, he's the Savior of the world, and they will put their faith and trust in Christ, and they will rise above the the power and, and the bondage of sin and death and defeat, and they will experience God's grace. But many will fall. Many will reject him. Many will refuse to believe who he is. And then he says even bluntly, he says, and to be a sign that will be opposed. Oh boy, did that come true. It wasn't too long after Jesus went public that the religious leaders started hating him vehemently. It wasn't much time on before their insecurity, um, their, their afraid of losing power would cause them to start plotting the death of Jesus Christ. And then he said these words. And a sword will pierce your own soul. You just wondered, did that pop into her brain? Because the Bible says, and Mary kept these things and treasured, her in her, and treasured them in her heart. And you just got to wonder that, did she remember the prophecy of Simeon where it said, a sword will pierce your own soul. And here we are 33 years later, and her soul's being pierced. Her son, her oldest son, is nailed to a Roman cross and dying. And she's watching. The Bible also says, In that same verse, that along with Mary was his mother's sister. In other words, Mary had a sister. Now, perhaps you're smarter than me, but I spent too much time figuring out exactly, you know, everybody's got an opinion. But again, it seems like most of the opinion seems to point to the fact that that this, this sister 
name was probably Salome, and she's mentioned in the Bible several times, and that she's the mother of James and John, the two closest friends of Jesus. And by the way, if it's true that this is Salome and that this is the mother of James and John, that would mean that Jesus was cousins with John and James. So she's there. And I'm sure she's there because, again, a person she had affection for is is nailed to a Roman cross. But I think she's there to support Mary, her sister. Her sister's son is nailed to a Roman cross. And she's there. She's hurting with Mary. Aren't you glad for people who hurt with you? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad when crosses come into our life, there's people who are willing to hurt with us? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, she had a kind of an encounter with Jesus, too. Just like Mary had one with Simeon who made this prophecy. Salome, if that's her name, had this encounter with Jesus. And it's found in Matthew 20, 21, and 22. Here's what it says. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him, and that would be James and John, approached him with her sons, and she knelt down to ask him something. So this mother of James and John, Salome, is bowing down and is going to ask Jesus a question. And you remember what she asked? Hmm. What do you want? He asked her. And here's what she said. Promise. Promise me. She said to him. That these two sons of mine, James and John, may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. I don't know about you, but I kind of wonder this. I wonder if she remembered that conversation that day. I wonder as she looked up at that Roman cross... And there was Jesus, and on the left and on the right were two other crosses. And I wonder if it crossed her mind to say, that could be James, and that could be John. Because ultimately Jesus said, they will drink of this cup, but it's not mine to give. And I wonder if she's just glad. Because things didn't go like she thought they were going to go. She thought, again, Jesus was going to be the the king priest that overthrow Roman power. And his disciples were going to be these incredible, powerful rock stars. And she wanted to make sure that her son and other son was with Jesus. They're not. John's there. We're not sure where James is. But you know something? In about a month, a little bit more than a month, about two months, they're going to cut the head off of James. Her son, James. He didn't nail to a cross, but they took the sword to him and beheaded him. And John, the beloved, the guy that's in this story, he's the only one who survived that we know of old age and he was exiled to Patmos, an island in Greece. 
So you wonder all she's thinking as she remembers, oh, man, I, I wanted them to be in his kingdom, and I wonder if it would have meant this if he'd answered that the way I wanted him to. Then the Bible says there's another one. It says, Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Now, again, I spent too much time that I probably should have trying to figure out who these people were. And, and we know this. We know for certain from Scripture that, that Mary, the wife of Cleopas, that Cleopas had another name, and his name was Alphaeus. Which, when, and then we know from the Scripture that that means that this Mary, a lot of people are named Mary. Have you figured that out? That this Mary was the mother of James the Lesser, not James and John, James the Lesser and Joseph. And we don't know a lot about her. And we really don't know a lot about James either. Again, we know as tradition in history that all the apostles died, martyrs' death, with the exception of John. But maybe that's good that we don't know a lot because that kind of gives us a place at the the table. It kind of gives us a place at the cross when we don't know all the details. And then there's Mary Magdalene. Mary's always there. Another Mary. You say, well, who is this Mary? Well, uh, fortunately, we've got lots of detail on her. And Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. Speaking about Jesus, these were during the better days, the days of open ministry, the days when Jesus was still able to walk around and, and teach and preach. It says, soon afterward, he, Jesus, was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom. The good news that there was a God who loved, that there was a God who made a difference, that he was the Messiah, that he had come to redeem the people. The Bible says the twelve were with him at that point. But then it goes on and says this, and also some women who have been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. And guess who one of them was? Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. This woman at the cross named Mary of Magdalene had been a demon-possessed woman. Seven demons. And Jesus healed her. And you know what? She never got over it. She never got over it. And she became this this passionate follower of Christ. Financially, emotionally, Friend-wise, she was there because she couldn't get over what Jesus had done for her. She had to be there. She didn't understand either. She didn't have full understanding what was happening to Jesus, but she had to be there. You know what worries me? I'm afraid we've gotten over Jesus. I'm afraid we've gotten over what Jesus did for us. I'm so concerned 
that the reason there's such a passivity in the lives of believers, especially in our Western culture in America, I mean, people have truly made a commitment to Christ. The reason we're so passive is that we got over it. God, may we never get over what Jesus did. May we never get over the cross. May we never get over the sacrifice, the blood, the, the, the atonement, the, the taking of the wrath of God. May we never go to the fact that I was bound for hell and he reached down in love and grace and forgave me and you if you know him. Never get over it. So there's Mary and Salome and Mary and Mary. It's kind of like Daryl, my other brother Daryl. And they're there. And their perspective of the cross is looking up at this man that they loved. And he's dying. He's nailed to a Roman cross. And then the the camera, if it was a movie, you know how they change camera views? Well, the camera would switch from looking up at Jesus to looking through the eyes of Jesus. Because then the Bible says in verse number 26 of John 19... When Jesus saw his mother, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there. So in his pain and his agony, through the blood in his eyes and through the sweat and perhaps tears, he's able to focus enough and he spots his mom at the foot of the cross. And he looks next to her, and there's John, the beloved disciple. And he says to his mom, to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then verse number 27, Then he said to the disciple, John, Here is your mother. So he says to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then looks at John and says, here's your mother. Now, this is so significant. Now, again, try to imagine with me the pain that Jesus is going through. I mean, we can't, but try to imagine that. And even in that agony, he thinks of others. Just like he did when he said, Father, forgive them. As he drove the spikes through his wrist, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Just like he looked at the man on his right or on his left and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Thinking of others, he now sees his mother and says, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, Son, behold your mother. Now, now don't get hung up that he was disrespectful to his mom. Because, you know, we, we think of... You know, the man thing, we all power up men and go, now listen here, woman. It's not that at all. It's a term of honor and respect. One translation did say, dear woman. So don't, don't think he was being disrespectful. He was not. It's a term of honor for his mother. But I think the big question is, what's going on here? Well, as you know, Joseph has just faded from the scene, so he most certainly by this time is dead. So Mary... The mother of Jesus is a widow. And as the oldest son, the responsibility would have fallen on Jesus to care for his mother. And Jesus is fixing to die. So he has an obligation 
to take care of his mom. Now, here's something I just thought was so interesting, so cool, and that is this. Mary obviously had other sons. We know James, the writer of the gospel, James. That's, that would be probably the next oldest brother. And then it says, in another part of the scripture, it says that Mary had other children, sons and daughters. So you've got to beg the question, why didn't Jesus commend his mom to the other sons, the other daughters? Why did he choose John? You want to know why? Because at this point, none of his brothers and sisters that we know of were believers. And Jesus did not entrust his mom to a non-believer. Now, later on, James becomes a leader in the church. James, after the resurrection, his oldest brother, after the resurrection, becomes a leader in the church. But at this point, all he sees is a dying Jew who happens to be his brother. And Jesus, in all this incredible wisdom, says, I'm not going to entrust my mother to someone who doesn't believe in me. There's got to be a lesson there for us. As we journey through our lives, and there needs to be a trust factor, when you want wisdom, when you want counsel, when your marriage is falling apart and you want to find someone to talk to, when you're having trouble with your kids and you don't know what to do, find someone who believes in Jesus like you do. If nothing else, there's a lesson there that we learn that Jesus in wisdom said, I'm going to trust my mom to someone who believes in me, not someone who doesn't. That's big, trust me. I don't know about you, but I find myself pretty frequently needing advice. Not that I always take it, but I find myself needing advice. Teach us, Lord. From the cross, teach us to follow your example. And it says, from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. John became like a son. Even in his darkest hour, he thought of others. Now, the rest of the time, I want to spend with you this way. Even in our darkest hours, we need to think of others. Even in our darkest hours, we want to think of others. I, I, I told you last week, it hasn't changed. It never will change. Again, Linda... Guest and Trina Nave gave me a little sign that says, Thou shalt not whine. You know, it's, on my, it's in my study at home, and I look at it every day. My chair sits here, and I look at that wall, and it says, Thou shalt not whine, because I have this propensity to whine. You know, I'm one of those people, it seems like, sometimes it seems like I say, you know, when I talk about myself, I say, That's enough about me. What do you think about me? We are not to be that way. We are to think of others. And believe it or not, our crosses are a great place for that to happen. Just like for Jesus. When Jesus on the cross thought of others, our crosses are times to think of others. So in the time we got left, I've got about four or five things I want to share with you real quick about crosses and about our response to our crosses. Okay?
And again, a couple more real familiar scriptures. Don't let that, don't let that sidetrack you today. That, oh, I know that scripture. I've heard that scripture before. You know, first off this. Crosses are a part of the Jesus experience. Crosses are a part of the Jesus experience. In other words, when we choose to trust Jesus, just like Jesus had his cross, it was his destiny, it was his purpose, you need to understand that if you're going to be a Christ follower, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to involve a cross. Mark it down. And by the way, speaking of mark it down, that doesn't mark it well. Doesn't sell good in America. Doesn't sell good. It sells better in places where they understand persecution, but it doesn't market well in America. But mark it down. If you trust Jesus, there's going to be a cross. And, and I went instantly, of course, to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, he said to them all, he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, if anyone wants to come after me, if any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself. In other words, put yourself at the back of the line. And here it is. Take up his cross daily. Daily. Now, that, that means a lot. It's, it's above my pay grade. I love it because Donnie Bill always says, I've already told you more than I know. I'm not sure all that that means. But I do know this. That one of the main teachings of the cross in the Roman world was that when you bore a cross, you were confessing to be a criminal of Rome, an enemy of Rome. And you took on that identity as a criminal of Rome through their eyes. Through their eyes. And when Jesus says, take up his cross daily, he is saying every day, we have to identify with the Christ of the cross. Every day we have to identify. That's our name badge. That's our tattoo. That's our paint. And it tells the world when we take up our cross, I am a Christ follower. I'm not talking about that gold-plated thing over there on top of the flag. I'm talking about the instrument of death that Jesus died on. And we've got to be a willing, no matter how difficult it is, to identify with Jesus Christ. Amen? It's huge. It's just not enough to come to church. It's just not enough to slap a name badge on. He calls us to identify with Him, to deny ourselves, to lay aside our dreams and our minds, our purposes. And then He says... To follow him. To follow me. So, crosses are part of the Christian experience. Mark it down. All right, we've got to move on. Number two is this. Crosses change perspective. Let me put a little pronoun in there because it reads better. Crosses change our perspective. 
cross has changed our perspective. Again, if, if somehow the cross situation was a movie, you'd have different cameras zooming in different times. When, when Mary and Martha and those guys, all, Mary, and, and Mary and Mary and Salome looked up, that would show Jesus on the cross. And we'd see Jesus looking over here, and here's a man vehemently hating him, saying, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. And over here, there's a man praying, saying, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And when Jesus looked around, he saw all the people that had killed him. The cross gives us a new perspective. Learn that. There's a reason for crosses in our life. And when we take up and identify with Jesus Christ, it should change our perspective. Here, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This makes no sense to the world. Have you figured that out yet? I mean, in America, you know, in the Western culture thing, it's getting more and more crazy to be a Christian. They don't get this. This is sacrifice. This is selflessness. This, this, is, this is laying it all down. This is being all in. And the world doesn't get that. Now, now I, let me tell you what sells good. If you want to grow a church, I can tell you how to grow a church. You entertain everybody. You make it kind of fun. You don't offend anybody. And you sell this message. And it's not a bad message. Who wants to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Who doesn't want to go to hell? That sells too. Well, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. But you never mention the fact that that involves a sellout, a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. You don't mention the word repentance, which means turning away from your old life and turning to your new life to follow Christ. You don't mention if any person wants to come after me, you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow but yeah, you can grow a church because everybody wants to go to heaven and nobody wants to go to hell. Because that's not foolishness. But this sacrifice, this, this death on a cross thing, it is totally to the world foolishness. The, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is, the, it is God's power to us. Who are being saved. For those of us who are saved. Can I have witness? For those of us who are saved. Can I have a witness? For those of us who are saved. It is the power of God to save us. It's the power of God to save us. When you start seeing. When you start seeing the cross. Through the eyes of amazing grace. When you start seeing the cross through the eyes of what God has done, it's no longer foolishness. When you start understanding that every person has sinned, that no one deserves heaven, and that without some kind of intervention from God, that we will spend eternity in hell separated from God, all of a sudden this foolish message that we'll believe in Him and turn from our sins, He'll forgive our sins, doesn't sound so foolish anymore. Putting on a life jacket, you know, when we get in the boat in Africa, they say, put on your life jacket. It sounds foolish. 
until the waves are coming over the side of the boat. All of a sudden, it doesn't seem foolish anymore. Anymore. So, the cross will change our perspective. Crosses are instruments of life for those willing to die. I know that's a paradox. You know, Jesus always gives these paradoxes. Paul wrote this one, but Jesus taught it. You know, you know David read this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. If any man comes after me, he's got to deny himself. He's got to die to self. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. Crosses are instruments of life if we're willing to die. Hmm. Crosses aren't about us, but them. It really was about others. It's not, it's not woe is me, but great is he. Because again, I'll be honest with you, when I get on my crosses, you know, like I've been, you know, crossified a little bit here. I just made up a word. Crossified. Okay, you kind of want to, you know, like, woe is me! Crosses aren't a place for woe is me. Crosses are a place for greater is Greater is he. And i got to stick this in because you need it. You know, crosses aren't solitary experiences. Anybody here ever felt alone? You ever felt alone? Let me tell you something. Every person will have crosses in their life if you follow Jesus. But you'll never be on the cross alone. See, Psalm 23 I know it's Old Testament, but it still works. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. No matter what you go through in life, no matter how much pain there is in life, know this, God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You believe that? Yeah. Yeah. But knowing that, knowing that, listen... You have a few close friends. In, in Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Remember that story? The wine press. And he said to his disciples, sit over there while I go and pray and take him with him, Peter and James and John. We talked about them. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, listen, we all need a them in our life. God did not intend us to go through life solitary. I said to a person this week, if you've got one good friend, you're a rich man. We need a few thems in our life. Jesus did. He took Peter, James, and John and said, pray with me because I'm so sorrowful to death. But it even, doesn't even stop there. There's you, there's God, and there's them, and that's a few close friends, but we need each other. There's this thing going around about, we don't, I don't need the church. Yeah, you do. If you're a believer, you do. Listen. And let us, we all need an us, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. You got God, and you may have a few close friends, but the church still has a very large function in the world today and should have a function in your world. Your world. I'm telling you, when your child dies, when the doctor's got bad news, when you lose your job, it's so cool to be able to come to a corporate worship place and sing these incredible songs that we sing about God and His sufficiency and His grace and His mercy to worship together with a bunch of people who, I was going to say, think like you do. Hopefully they think like you do, that you believe in Jesus Christ. It's encouraging. You need church. It's not outdated. It's still very viable. And because there are crosses in life, we need God. We need a few close friends, but we need each other. Jesus said, woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mom. Because even on the cross... He thought of others. And as we journey through life, and if we're Christ's followers, there will be crosses in our life. Just remember, it's still about others and not us. Would you bow your head, please? I hope this made some sense today. I hope this made some sense for you. Crosses are difficult places sometimes. But when we think of what Jesus has done for us, His mercy and grace and forgiveness, then it will cause us to want others to have what we have. We call this our decision time. And if you're here today, and one, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this is all new to you. You thought people get to heaven by going, going to church. Maybe you got this morning, came to church and said, well, I want to go to heaven, so I'll go to church. And maybe you heard something today that sparked your interest. And maybe you feel like that something inside of you pulling you saying, this is what you've been looking for. And that something is Jesus Christ, a relationship with him. God, in fact, loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. And we would be glad to share that with you today. Perhaps you're here today and you heard for the first time and understood that crosses are part of your Christian experience. A necessary part. And perhaps today you want to say, God, I want you to forgive me for all my whining about all my crosses. Help me to bravely bear the cross of Christ wherever I may go. Help me to be about others. Now, if there's something else we can pray with you about today, if you're interested in joining our church and you said, want to know how to do that, I'll be down front today. And I'll be glad to help you in any way I can, um, any decision that you need to be. If you just want to pray with you, we've got some folks who can pray with you today. Father, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing this. And Holy Spirit, I'm really counting on you to pull this one together. I pray, Father, you'll take the words that have been spoken by a man and magnify them as your word, not my words, the word of God, to magnify that and make it clear. Father, we've lost our way with the cross. We've lost our way with the cross. Help us to once again be enamored 
with the man on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to speak to people today and draw them to yourself. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.